Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am honored by your wise decision to join us today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators, and they fall into one or more of several different categories. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have folks who help others build their businesses. And on the other side of that coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you grow your own business. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how our experts can help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, check us out on iTunes. Do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. Make sure to subscribe. Fresh content added weekly. Today, I am especially honored, and I've been waiting for this for a long time. We have with us Jason Hartman, who's going to share with us how to create leverage in life and business. Now, this may sound like a very general title, but Jason is going to be sharing with us some very specific strategies and techniques for business creators to use in terms of creating leverage in life and business. Uh, We're going to talk about mixing real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Many of our listeners are interested in real estate investing or are involved in real estate investing. He's going to share with us three major areas in which you apply leverage. And one of these is something that I've never thought of before. So I'm really looking forward to having him share this with you. And just to tell you a little bit about Jason, he's an entrepreneur, podcaster, and real estate investor. He's founded 18 companies, so 16 more than me. He's been involved in several thousand real estate transactions, which is several thousand more than I've been involved in. And he's owned income properties in 11 states and 17 cities. In fact, I haven't even lived in 11 states yet. Uh, Just to tell you a little bit more about Jason, he's the founder and CEO of the Platinum Properties Investor Network, the Hartman Media Company, and the Jason Hartman Foundation. And there's so much we're going to learn about Jason, but I'm going to let you tell, let him tell you in his own words. First of all, Jason Hartman, welcome aboard. Hey, thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. Great to have you here. And I'm really glad you were able to make a few moments out of your very busy day to hang out with us down here at the Business Creators Radio Show. Now, before we dive into what we're going to cover today, what I want to do is just give you a chance to tell us a little bit about yourself. And for our listeners who haven't had a chance to get to know you yet, just share with us something about your journey or what's brought you to where you are today. Sure. I'll give you the Reader's Digest condensed version, of course. And I then, love it. And kind of make it qu- quick and snappy if I can. Basically, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I grew up kind of poor, you know, didn't have much money, didn't have much access to resources. And I always felt disadvantaged by that. Um, you know, didn't didn't have nice things or, you know, opportunities that a lot of the other kids at school had and so forth. And Adam, when I was 16 years old, I was watching an infomercial. I don't even know if they called them infomercials back then. But it, there was a real estate guru on there. And he was pitching his book and his programs and that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it was it kind of amazed me. It really did. And, uh, you know, it was all about the common man and how anybody could do it. And, and you know, we're kind of hear that same pitch today from these real estate gurus. And I went out and I got his book and I read three whole chapters. I was in high school, of course, and I was preoccupied with, with high school life. But uh, I read three chapters. I put the book down, kind of forgot about it. Fast forward two years, I'm now 18 years old. I'm getting ready to graduate from high school. And my mom had picked up that book after I put it down. 
she read the whole thing. You know, I was a kid. I didn't finish much at that age. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, she read the whole thing, started reading more books on real estate investing, going to seminars, learning all about it. And uh, she said to me, Jason, you know, there's a big seminar in Anaheim by Disneyland. Why don't you come? And uh, so I rounded up nine of my buddies from high school because at that age, I couldn't do anything by myself. And I, uh, I, I got them to go to the seminar with me. The first night, Adam, at that seminar, uh, the first speaker was talking about Zig Ziglar and, uh, you know, all of these really positive things. And uh, I think he mentioned Jim Rohn, too. And I, I didn't really know too terribly much about these people, but a little bit at that age. I had discovered them about a year before. And he was talking about points. And I thought, what are points? And, and what those are is when you get a real estate loan, you pay points, prepaid interest. I didn't know what that was. So, you know, I, I got my real estate license after that shortly. And my first year of college uh, started in real estate part time and, and then became an investor shortly after that. And, and, and that's kind of the start. Right. That is great. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, as you're telling me this story, you know, I grew up in a kind of a middle class existence. And even as I was growing up, I knew there was something more than what my surroundings were showing me. I didn't know what it was, but it seemed like this wasn't the entire world. I saw people who work hard to establish a decent living. I see a whole lot of emphasis on, you know, let's save, let's not spend money and you know, everything's junk and you don't need to buy anything and and uh, putting together all kinds of money to invest in things like that. Uh, I mean, all of these things, in most cases, sound, generally speaking, good. But mm -hmm. there was something out there that was just, I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I, I think I was getting a clue when my grandfather, who lived next door, he ran a, a rolling garage sale where he had stuff for sale inside his garage, and I loved helping him with that, even though it, he, he didn't have that many many customers. I loved getting to know the merchandise, the pricing, and everything he was doing. When I was in college, my political science curriculum at Penn State University, uh, when I wasn't uh, hammering away at term papers, because that's what poli-sci majors do is write term papers, I was on this thing the internet that was just coming out in the 1990s and i love we were, how you say it this thing <laughs> yes exactly right exactly al gore had very recently invented it and yeah right right exactly <laughs> and, uh, right and he and i and at the time i was very interested in competition auto sound because i was building a system for my camaro and i saw these websites where i could look at amps and subwoofers and things like that and i'm getting a sense i could buy this stuff online people were selling this stuff online it was very rudimentary but it was available and i was looking at custom components for my car for the interior of the car and in fact at one point i reached out to one of the companies and had a conversation with them about a case about perhaps being one of their outside sales representatives mm -hmm. and that kind of intrigued me but yeah. the problem is i let people around me talk me out of it and even insult the idea idea uh at, at one point uh i I, can't, I think it was one of my uncles said to me you know it's you know you know while you're going out there playing with your car door accessories you could be should be putting that money in the bank i'm thinking oh god there's still something out there and i don't know what it is well you uh, know, that's, <laughs> that's a great point i mean we're going to talk a little bit about leverage today but nobody ever got rich by saving money okay yeah <laughs> Capital formation is certainly important if you, if you want to be an investor, if you want to get into the investor class, you need to 
save and develop and create capital. Capital formation right. is important to an economy, uh, but uh, but you'll never get rich saving money. Saving money, if you think about it, is literally the scarcity complex. You know, it is uh, it is uh, saying to ourselves that look, we got to hoard instead of grow, and those are two completely different mindsets, as we both know. Yeah. Yes, I totally follow you on that and I totally agree with it and I'm just thinking to myself whenever I've needed more money for my business I mean I've been in business for 12 years and we've had our ups and downs like any other entrepreneurial venture but I can never think of a single time when saving money got me out of a pinch you know what got me out of a pinch going out and getting more customers right yeah good point yeah revenue revenue is what solves it you can't save your way out of debt or save your way to a paid off credit card or save your way to a paid off loan or save your way to making payroll you bring in more revenue to cover the debt and the expense and that's how you achieve profitability and uh i love that you and i have very similar mindsets on this that is the entrepreneur's mindset uh and I'm looking forward to these three major areas where we apply leverage and how that's going to apply to that. I keep teasing that because you revealed it to me in the green room and I'm so excited about it. But, before yeah, we, yeah. but there's one more thing we need to do before we get to your part here. Uh-huh. And listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show can hear the drum rolling in the background because we ask this of every single one of our guests. And here it is. On the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And a lot of our listeners, they write to me, they post on Facebook, they tell me that they have everything they need to implement anything that any of our guest experts recommend they do, except for time and money. Now, this is a question we ask every expert who appears on our show. And what I like is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of ways the question is interpreted. So, Jason, how do time and money impact what you're going to share with us today about creating leverage in life and business? Oh, that's a good question, Adam. So, uh, you know, if, if you had to make the choice, time is way more important than money. Uh, and you can't buy time, but you can buy to some extent what you're going to do with your time. So if you can create leverage, you know, Archimedes, the, the philosopher of uh, uh, past uh, bygone era, you know, he said, give me a lever long enough and I will move the entire world. So let's explore today that idea of leverage, how we can get more leverage over our time, over our money, and we can grow and have a bigger life. Uh, in that way. Is, is that an answer? <laughs> that's a that's a great answer. And that's okay. an insight that, I mean, we've had over 100 people on the Business Creators Radio Show in the two years we've been on the air. And I have never heard anybody answer it that way. I kind of, I have to be honest with you, though. I felt like I was answering that question a little bit like a politician would. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I really answered the question or made up my own. You know, politicians hear what they do. Here's what they do. It's like, here's the question. Okay, now here's what I want to talk about. Um, and, and I'm going to answer a totally different question, right? <laughs> I felt a little bit like that, but glad, glad you were satisfied. Good. Great. Good now, let's get into this here. Now, you are really into the concept of leverage. And before we get into that, what I want to do is I want to take a step back and let's get a little bit deeper into why did you become an entrepreneur? I'm sure you had many paychecks offered to you, but why did you go the entrepreneur route? Well, actually, I didn't have many paychecks offered. Oh. I've, I've never had 
a real job. I mean, the closest thing I ever got to a real job, I guess, was having, I, I had two paper routes. I used to, you know, I couldn't do just one because I was very ambitious even as a, a little kid. Um, and uh, I, I, I used to deliver the Santa Monica Evening Outlook after school, and I had two routes. So I used to go collect money from the door, and I guess that was a job. And then I worked in a small business my mother owned, and uh, and that was a job. But, uh, you know, since it was family, I couldn't really consider it a regular job. So, you know, just got uh, became an entrepreneur right away if you consider being a real estate agent on entrepreneur. I think it's uh, not exactly that. It's a self-employed person, though. We'll put it that way. And um, and I, I just always felt, Adam, like I didn't want limits on my income. I felt that I uh, had enough faith in myself that I could go out and and create my own income. And, uh, you know, Steve Jobs used to talk about like making a dent in the world or making a dent in the universe. And I think that's what entrepreneurs deep down, they're people who have faith in themselves and their ideas. And uh, they want to go out and make their own path and and uh, let the world move aside for that path and, uh, and, um, and, and, you know, make space for them and their business and their idea. A good idea attracts money. A good idea attracts everything it needs. And that's what entrepreneurs do in the world is they create ideas and innovation and execution upon them. Yeah, I know the difference between the way entrepreneurs think and the way that non-entrepreneurs think. And I also know the distinction between people who are not entrepreneurs who have been studying entrepreneurship but haven't quite gotten into it yet. There's also a transitional phase right in the middle where they kind of get it, they kind of understand leverage, but there's still some what some people call paycheck mentality sort of seeping its way in there or some yeah. I got to do it myself mentality sort of seeping its way in there. And I know that the more I leverage, the more I make and the more I help. So you being so much into this concept of leverage, tell us more from your point of view, why leverage is so important for having the business and the life that you want. Well, leverage just means you can accelerate things. Uh, and, uh, you know, entrepreneurs uh, in, the, in the tech world mostly, they engage in uh, things like incubators sometimes that help incubate their business and their idea. Uh, the other thing they engage in is something called accelerators. And there are these organizations out there that are incubators and accelerators. And if you really look at it, uh, leverage can help us get where we want, whether it be in terms of our business, our investment portfolio, our health, our time. There's all these things that leverage can really help create for us. And, um, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the big areas that I think is very important is you got to take care of this money thing. This money thing is the, you know, it, it, it's obviously the currency of the world. Everybody on the planet, practically, I mean, there may be a few rare exceptions in some distant tribe that nobody knows about, operates on money. It is, the, it is, without a doubt, the most successful religion ever. And that is the, if you will, religion of money. And it is vitally important. It's not everything, but it is something. And uh, when, when we go into an entrepreneurial venture, 
you know, we've got to create leverage so that we can get there faster, so we can succeed faster and we can grow more quickly. It's been said that business, business is all about the big mo, and the mo is momentum. Yes. And leverage can help us create that momentum. So, Adam, I've really identified three major areas in which we need to apply leverage. Number one, our business. We got to take care of this money thing. We got to we got to take care of the financial security thing so that we are not spending our waking hours and maybe even our sleeping hours thinking, worrying, stressing about it. Okay, we got to just take care of that and get that taken care of. And the second area is our biology. What can we do to improve the workings of our minds and our bodies? And uh, this can help uh, make us more successful. It can, you know, uh, I, I mean, if you don't have your health, what do you have? You know, there, there's really nothing. You may have all the money in the world, but if you don't have your health, you are really, really missing out. And the third area is our investments. So if you look at this like BBI, business, biology, and investments. And uh, those are the three major areas over which I think people really need to focus and get leverage on these three areas. Yeah. I am a big believer in the holistic approach to this. And, you know, when you think about this, you know, one of the things we need to take care of when it comes to these, you know, I guess we could call them the three B's, uh, business, biology, and investments, is you have to look at your money and you have to look at your revenues. Because if you're worried about cash flow, and I've been there myself, as have all of our listeners at one point or another. That is the natural progression of growing your business. You will be in those places. If you're worrying about the cash flow, that's going to take away from your ability to generate cash flow because the worrying is going to get in the way of the creativity, the brilliance, and the momentum you need to go out there and get more clients, launch new products, do what you need to do, make new investments to get that cash flow up again. If your biology is off, obviously you're not going to be at your peak. And then investments, I know, is something you're going to be sharing with us a little bit more here. So actually what I'd like to do is I'd like to get a little bit into Jason's story a little bit further. And how do you mix real estate investing and entrepreneurship? Well, you know, in I, I really started out as this self-employed real estate agent person. Right. And that was really entrepreneurship. And I'll tell you one thing that was interesting to me very, very early in my career as a 20-year-old. I was in college uh, and and taking classes, and I was uh, selling real estate part time. I was working with investors and first time home buyers, and I remember Adam looking around my office uh, and making the comparison to my mother's entrepreneurial experience and the attitude of real estate agents and brokers in my office. So here's her story. She, uh, for for many years, struggled. Uh, she was executive director of the Leukemia Society. That was the highest uh, position she could get to is, is executive director of a chapter of the Leukemia Society in Santa Monica, California. Okay. okay. And... Um, uh, you know, as as a kid, I remember, you know, her, her wanting something else, trying to grow, trying to, you know, actually get ahead in life and, you know, hitting her head against the glass ceiling that 
really did exist back then. I don't think it's really there anymore. Uh, although some will say it is, but I don't really think so. <laughs> At least not very much. Um, we'll, we'll call it a, uh, a much higher glass ceiling if it is there at all, right? And, um, uh, you know, she, we would go to like franchise expos and things like that. And she finally saved enough money to buy a franchise. I remember she was always saving and wanting to get to the next level in life. And the franchise she bought in this example is a pioneer chicken franchise. It's like Kentucky Fried Chicken, but a bad version of it. Okay, not saying right. that Kentucky Fried's even that great either, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but it's like a, a bad version of KFC, right? Pioneer Chicken. And to do that, Adam, she had to have $100,000 down, commit to $100,000 in loans and $75,000 in equipment leases. And she got her very own Pioneer Chicken store in a very bad area of Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, got robbed several times, vandalized several times. It was ultimately a terrible experience. And I thought, you know, her goal with her $275,000 commitment was to make Sixty to eighty thousand dollars per year. Now, of course, you have to adjust that for inflation because that was a while ago. But she thought, you know, if over the years she could get three or maybe even five of these Pioneer Chicken stores under her belt, sixty thousand or eighty thousand times three or five would be a pretty darn good living in those days. Sure. And I looked around and I heard these realtors in my office say things like. Well, they were just really unhappy and they were really mad at the management of the company because they were self-employed. You know, they were independent contractors and the broker owner of the office would not buy them notepads to pass out in a neighborhood where they might get listings or get people to buy homes. And the notepads cost $180. And I thought, wow, you could get a thousand notepads to pass out with your face on it. And, you know, uh, people would get to know who you are for one hundred and eighty bucks. And, um, you know, in, in the real estate business, even back then, people could make two, three hundred thousand dollars a year. Pretty, you know, that was totally possible. OK. Yeah. And, and, and I looked at my mom with her two hundred and seventy five thousand dollar commitment and just thought that was a really imbalanced equation. I thought. You know, if I invested some real money in this real estate business of mine, just as an agent, I could really get some big returns. And by golly, I did. I, I, I closed my first, um, you know, real deal when I was at Remax. Uh, I did some transactions at Century 21. But I remember that first deal at Remax, I made like $10,000 in commissions. And I just put all that money back into my business, all of it. You know, I, I paid a few debts off and so forth, but all of the money I had left over went back into the business. And four years later, by the time I was 24 years old, I was number 59 in the entire world for Remax. And, um, you know, I was making a bundle of money. I mean, I was making almost $400,000 a year then. So part of that leverage is just mindset. But I do have some more specifics that entrepreneurs listening can apply. But I, I just wanted to get the mindset thing out of the way because I think that's just critically important to get leverage over your own thinking. That's the first step. 
Right. Would you Would you agree? I agree very much so. I mean, no matter – here's what I think about. I got my first computer in 1993. It was a leading edge something or other. I don't even know if leading edge is in business anymore because I haven't oh, seen any on that that was actually a brand name of a computer company. I didn't know. Wait, <laughs> I yeah, that, that's a thing. I, I, I don't know what it was. I haven't seen one before or since. And it was running Windows 3.1, I believe, something along those lines. It was the one that came before Windows 95. And, and it cost $3,000, too. Something along those lines. And I... Remember that when I wanted to start this thing up, I'd hit the power button. I'd, you know, and then I'd go make wait myself. Wait ten minutes. <laughs> wait, yeah, and I'd say, okay, now I'll make myself dinner, and maybe by the time I have my noms in front of me, this thing will be ready to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, I could do all kinds of crazy things. I could install discs and make pictures appear. Yeah. Holy smokes! Now, <laughs> now my phone does four hundred times what that computer could do. Yeah, yeah, and all, and no matter how much they continue to evolve, computers, smartphones, tablets, apps, and the ability for us to instantaneously and rapidly exchange information, there's no computer out there that even holds a candle to the computer that's between your ears. Yeah, yeah no question about it. Very important. And by the way, uh, leading edge computers uh, is around. I googled it while you were talking, and I'm looking at some pictures of these uh, very high tech machines right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, no, the the computer between our ears is incredibly powerful, and uh, we've got to get control of our self talk, our thoughts. We've got to get leverage on our thinking. That is the first step. But when it comes to business specifically, the first of the three major leverage categories, uh, there are many areas in which we can gain leverage. But I will share just a few of them with you that I think will be helpful to your listeners. Uh, The first one, Adam, I think that's critically important is the overall business model. Just the business model. And this is like the architecture of your business. And so I'll, I'll share an example uh, from my own life. I had a, um, a, a real estate company, and it was a traditional real estate office. It was in Irvine, California, and then I opened up two more offices in neighboring cities. And, uh, you know, it, it was just the traditional office that you could walk into anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world. And, uh, you know, we had realtors, and uh, at, the, at the peak, I had 65 people working for me there. And uh, it, it was a very hard business. I mean, it was a struggle. I owned it for eight years. Uh, I actually bought an existing company. I got leverage in buying that company because I did a basically a leveraged buyout, okay? Um, I, uh, I, I didn't pay anything for the company. It was a failing real estate company. And um, I, I knew it was about to go under, and I went to the owner, and I, I was, you know, at Remax back then, and uh, I said to them, I said, "Hey, will you will you sell it to me?" And uh, I structured a deal with leverage, so I could buy it with the revenue stream of the business itself, an LBO or a leveraged buyout. Okay, right. so uh, so there's an area where you can apply leverage, and I apply that same kind of leverage to real estate investing nowadays, but. Um, after that, that business model, that business was ultimately purchased uh, eight years later by Coldwell Banker. So even though it was a struggle a lot of times over the years, it ultimately ended up pretty good and I got a big buyout and a big paycheck uh, with that company. 
But that business model was not a good business model because it depended too much on agents, on staff. And it was a business, Adam, where every single night the entire value of my company walked out the door. And that is not a good business model. <laughs> okay. Right. So my next business, uh, one that I am still involved in, is a real estate investment business model where basically instead of doing traditional real estate, we help people acquire nationwide properties nationwide in markets that we recommend. And that business model is not perfect either, but it's a lot better because it doesn't depend as much on those agents who are always, who basically think about real estate agents. They negotiate for a living. That's what they do. And they were always negotiating with me. <laughs> and that can be, that can really wear you down. Okay. Yes. So, uh, so the first leverage area is business model. Now, Let's examine some great business models. Uh, most critically, uh, you know, there's a, there's a great book by a, a man named Eric Reese. It's called The Lean Startup. And this is a phenomenal business book that I would highly recommend to people. And uh, Ryan Holiday also uh, wrote a good little short book that's a little bit uh, rides on the coattails of Lean Startup, I believe. Uh, and it talks about... Um, how to evaluate your business model and, you know, how to get feedback from the customers and so forth. These are two great resources, especially the Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Well, in the business models that you look at today, I mean, nobody would have ever imagined that you could have a hotel company that didn't own any real estate. Yet that's pretty much what Airbnb is. Yeah. Probably, and that's an incredible business model that takes advantage of what's known as the sharing economy. Um, probably nobody years ago would have ever imagined that you could own a taxi company without owning any cars or having your cars painted or having people lease cars from you or anything. And yet that's what Lyft and Uber do and many other companies that compete with them. Uh, so these are examples of phenomenal business models that basically just look around for inefficiencies in the world. They look around for things that are being unused. Think about it, Adam. How many people have an extra room in their house or have an extra house, maybe a vacation condo or a, uh, a property that they're not using or not using very much, or maybe they want to go live in a different part of the world and become an expat for a certain time in their life, and they would have this unused piece of real estate. Well, they can list it on a website like Airbnb and put it to use. How many people have a car and time on their hands and aren't doing anything with it? Yet they could become a driver for Lyft or Uber. And you they take these unused resources and make them profitable. I mean, that is a phenomenal business model, better than anything I've ever done. Uh, so incredible business models. So business model is a critical area. And I'm sure with all the guests you've had on your show uh, over, uh, over the time you've been doing it, uh, you've probably had some great business models uh, yes. that you've discussed on the show, right? Oh, yes. 
Yeah. Any, anything you want to share or talk about or questions on that? Well, our listeners can go to businesscreatorsradioshow.com anytime and look at that. But uh, just, you know, some things that come to mind with respect to what you're saying is uh, what, what I'm pulling out of what you're sharing with us right now, Jason, is that entrepreneurial opportunity may be literally right in front of us in terms of what we do every day. Yeah. So, for instance, if you have a house and you have four bedrooms in that house and you're only using one of them, mm-hmm. you could go to Airbnb and you could turn your house into a profit center, a revenue yep. center. Absolutely. If you, uh, if you have a lot of time on your hands, like let's say that you are one of those fortunate people that can truly set your own hours as long as you meet your obligations. Well, you can make hours to go do Uber. I mean, I know people, uh, I'm thinking of one person I know personally just a little bit, who is a very successful entrepreneur, uh, makes well in the six digits, and they drive Uber because it gives them an opportunity to meet people. Yeah, it's just for they don't, they don't, they don't need yeah. they, they don't need the money. They certainly yeah. don't have to go trolling in their car looking to be uh, a taxi cab, but it just gives them the opportunity to expand their own circle and expand their own experiences. And it's like they don't even care about the money. They're just doing it because it's a great opportunity to go out and meet people because people who hire Uber are people who go places. It's something I've been telling people for yeah. years. And we hear this um, uh, when people are looking to climb the corporate ladder or they're looking to make moves in their career. And somebody says to them, well, you know, when you go into that new department, you're carrying baggage with you. This is what one of my, when I used to work for a company, one of my supervisors said, it's like, you know, you're going into this new department and you know, you walk in there with baggage because of you know some random bullshit that happened three years ago between me and somebody who worked in that department. And I didn't even think about this. I'd never pondered this area of life, but I just spontaneously, just spontaneously popped in my head. And I said, well, you know, I've been to airports before and everybody I see carrying baggage is going places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and my supervisor who was trying to, you know, give me mentoring and everything said, yeah, touche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there you know, think of business models, and it is amazing. Just look around and think about what problems you face in your life and uh, what problems other people face. And, uh, you know, business models will occur to you. It is an amazing, innovative, uh, very inspiring time to be alive. So the business model can provide tons of leverage. It's critically important. And in my little small business example, in one of my companies, uh, that's been huge for me. Uh, you know, ele- 11 years now in the investment only side of the real estate business with a great business model. It's got tons of leverage because I podcast, I teach people how to invest. And, uh, you know, they, they come to us and they use our system and it's got just loads of leverage. Uh, not as good as Uber or Airbnb, but lots of leverage. The other area in which I think a lot of entrepreneurs can really create some good leverage is with their brand. Um, you know, branding is a, a much talked about subject over the past 15 years or so. Whether it be, uh, you know, branding for your business or branding for yourself as an individual, okay, what's known as personal branding. And it is a very, very important thing because a brand itself has leverage, okay? And if you think about it from the perspective, Adam, of a celebrity, 
And you think about, uh, you know, one of the most famous people in music who's I've long said, uh, you know, Milton Friedman uh, years ago, the economist Milton Friedman, the late economist, talked about the idea of uh, someone selling stock in themselves to uh, pay for and finance their education. And uh, there are some actual websites that kind of do that. I've had I've had those guys on my show. I can't remember the name of it. But um, if I could buy a stock in one person, it would be Taylor Swift. <laughs> I mean, she has got the makings of you know, an incredible many decade long superstar. And think about celebrity and the leverage that is available in celebrity. We've seen celebrities on one of those real housewife shows leverage themselves into all kinds of other areas. One of them uh, started uh, something called Skinny Girl Margaritas and sold that company just nine months later, I think, for $120 million. At least that's the story. I may not be perfect on my facts there, but it's still an amazing story either way. Um, and, And the power of celebrity in our culture today is incredibly powerful. Now, people might be saying, well, what the heck does that have to do with me, Jason? You know, that's irrelevant. I'm not Taylor Swift. I'm not, who, who was it on that Real Housewives show with the uh, margarita brand? Uh, I'm not any of those people, and I'm not on a reality show, and I can't do music. You can create a celebrity status for yourself the way I've done it or the way Adam has done it. And the great thing about the world today is there's no gatekeeper, is there? You know, you can just decide, look, I have an idea, I have a philosophy, I have a cause, I have a concept, I have a business, and you can start a podcast, you can start a blog, you can uh, do direct marketing, and there's no gatekeeper, no one has to choose you. You know, I had James Altucher on my show uh, a while back, and he wrote a book called Choose Yourself. And that's really what is uh, one of the amazing things and the amazing leverage opportunities available in today's world is that we don't have to be chosen. It is so much more democratic. We can choose ourselves, And if we have that idea, that business, that cause, that philosophy that we want to get out to the world, you know, the marketplace can decide if it's interesting. The marketplace can decide if they want to choose us by the value of our ideas. If they're good, they will spread and people will be interested. If they're not good, the marketplace will vote them down and and listen to other ideas instead. And so very powerful thing. Remember, you have a brand. Your brand, whether it be your personal brand or your business's brand, is a form of shorthand for consumers. People are overwhelmed with information nowadays And they need a way to choose you quickly. And uh, I would highly recommend, if you're not doing it already, that you become knowledgeable about the power of branding. And uh, and that's a very, very important thing. I'm going to say something, and I bring this up occasionally on the Business Creators Radio Show here, and this is one of those things that are right in front of you that most people know, but very few people few people will say out loud, what is one of the biggest challenges that people who want to achieve their destiny or gain a level of knowledge or succeed in entrepreneurship, what do they think is one of the biggest challenges? It's getting access to people 
who can help them or learning people's secrets or something like that. And you know the old cliche about, uh, you know, if somebody ever calls you up and says, hey, I was wondering if you have an hour to meet for coffee. I'm buying. Yeah, it's like, good yeah, luck it's with like, that. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I mean, even even 12, even 12 years ago, uh, I, I remember I was on the, the board of a, um, of a professional organization that I ultimately became president of back when I used to live in Pittsburgh. And um, one of the other board members wanted to break some news to me. And, uh, and uh, they, they started their approach was, uh, when are you available to meet for coffee? I said, I'm not. But I, but I really would like to meet for coffee. I said, I don't drink coffee. Tell me what's on your mind. And I don't drink coffee. Now, I digress. My point here is that we are thinking, how can we get somebody, bend somebody's ear? And the answer is so simple, and it's right in front of all of us, and we can all do this. Host a podcast. Yep. Host an internet radio show. Because people will... People, by nature, are generous, especially people who are successful, who truly understand success. They want to see others successful. They want to help other people become successful, but they themselves will become less successful if they take, I mean, because, you know, that cup of coffee that you're buying, that's really three hours out of their day, or sometimes it's their entire day because they have to have a hard stop on what they were doing before they get in their car to go down to Starbucks. Then they have to sit there with you. Then they have to drive back, and then they have to mentally get themselves ramped back up into work again. So that 45-minute coffee is really a half day of a successful person's time. And if they understand success principles, they're not even going to they're not even going to say anything to you other than no. But if you invite them to your podcast and you interview them on your podcast, you get to pick their brain for an hour. And the reason why that is is because you are giving them something in return. You're giving them exposure. You're giving them a platform. You're giving them an opportunity to help others. One of the great honors that I've had in the past year, Jason, was the opportunity to be on one of your podcasts. It's because it gave me the opportunity to reach out and help others in your network and share my success. And that's why I'm honored to have you here today is because it gives you the opportunity to speak out to our listeners. And we're syndicated to over a dozen different podcast networks who will hear your message and will gain something from it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. Uh, thank you. It, it, it is a win-win. I mean, it really is a win-win, you know, uh, you, you multiply your value and that's the, that's a, that's a form of leverage. You create value for the other person at the same time you're creating it for yourself. So, uh, you know, no, no one wants to hear that, uh, you know, can I buy you coffee or lunch or something? Because, uh, you know that's usually a, a one-way relationship. You gotta yes. you gotta make it a two-way relationship. So right. uh, that that branding, that leverage, very important. The last business concept that I want to share, as far as leverage goes, although there are many others, but I you know I'm trying to just cover the sort of the broad strokes here, uh, is systems. Okay, uh, systems are very important. Uh, you know I had Michael Gerber on my show a while ago. Yep. Uh, Many people know he wrote The E-Myth, that it's a whole series of books, The Entrepreneurial Myth. And he talks about working on the business, not in the business. Yes. And, um, and so it's very important to look at areas of your business and your life in general where you can just become more efficient and gain time and gain leverage by having good systems. And there are so many great softwares out there nowadays uh, you know, there's just software everywhere that, and it's, it's free or dirt 
cheap. I cannot believe how cheap it is to start a business nowadays. It's amazing. Yes. You know, you used to have to buy, uh, you know, I mean, I remember when I, you know, when I had my last uh, company, the one I sold to Coldwell Banker, I used to have to buy software for every desktop computer and it cost a fortune. Yes. And, you know, it's just so much simpler nowadays with cloud-based computing and the scalability for these software companies. And, you know, many of the, the, these project management software, I mean, they're free or, or they're like $8 a month. <laughs> it's nothing. Yes. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. Yes, it. Yes, it is. I mean, just think of the power of my laptop. We were talking about this earlier. The power oh, yeah. of your smartphone, and yeah. you have applications like Dropbox, Amazon oh. S3. You don't need a server anymore. We used to have to maintain uh, a big Microsoft Exchange server, and it would break. Oh, I remember. Oh, oh my yeah. God! Thousands of dollars every month down that rabbit hole. It was yes. terrible. You know, for, now for you, what for what in the end? I mean, uh, I mean, for what in the end? I'm now in my home network. I have a, I have a Wi-Fi network, and I have two external hard drives plugged into it that all my devices share. But that's only because there's certain information I just don't want to put on the cloud. Right. But within the confines of my home and my office, I can get go into any from any Wi-Fi point on any device. I can go into that. I can map to the network drive and I can pull files. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, yes. it's really, it's just so much easier nowadays. So we've got to embrace the systems and the technology for sure. Um, as far as, uh, I want to be conscious of our time. So uh, right. I, I'll just kind of go through this one a little faster. But as far as our biology, the second big area, right? We talked oh, right. about business. Now, biology, um, there's this, this movement it really is a movement. And uh, a lot of people have heard about it now, but maybe a lot of people haven't too. It's called the quantified self movement. And I've been engaged in it myself for about a year and a half uh, when I started tracking my sleep patterns about a year and a half ago. And I use a little app that costs, I think, $2.99. Whoa, it's expensive. Ooh, well, I don't know if I can afford that, Jason. Yeah, I think that, I might have to just, you know, too much time and not enough money. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, it's on my iPhone. It's called Sleep Cycle. There are other right. apps that do the same thing out there. And, you know, it has been very enlightening to me to track my sleep and to really start understanding what is affecting my sleep patterns and how important sleep is and you know what time uh, in the evening do i go to bed and what time do i wake up and when you track this data and it's so easy to do now over time you can really increase your effectiveness quite substantially uh, in terms of sleep uh, recently i got my my new apple watch and it certainly doesn't look as good as my nice Swiss watches that I, I would wear before. But, uh, boy, the functionality is super cool. I, I track my exercise. I track my, you know, how much am I standing and sitting. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it is my heart rate. I mean, the quantified self-movement is a phenomenal opportunity in terms of hacking our biology. And I don't pretend to be an expert in this, Adam. But I started a new podcast uh, a while back called The Longevity and Biohacking Show. And it has been right. fascinating to learn from my guests, the people I've been interviewing on that show, about uh, hacking our biology, about gaining leverage over our biology and uh, increasing the effectiveness of our mind and our concentration and our focus and our body, our physical being, and uh, just 
incredibly important. Incredibly important. Yeah. And that's where a lot of folks miss out on is not tracking things as simple as how much am I sleeping, how am I sleeping, and how am I using the energy that's around me. One of the reasons that I moved from Pennsylvania to Las Vegas, Nevada, is because I'm aware that I have a, uh, I have a bit of an issue when it comes to, uh, I am, you know what, I am blanking on the name of this thing. but it's Oh, seasonal affective disorder. Thank you, you very sad, much. Yeah. Yes, sad. exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I knew something that made me sad. And if you live in the Northeast, you know what it's like when you can have three months go by, regardless of temperature, but you don't see the sun. Yeah, it's great. And man, yeah. I would, I would dragging like I, I would get to a point where I would go stand outside even though it was nine degrees out because I was so deprived of natural light that I was jonesing for it like I was jonesing for drugs yeah and uh, and I could barely wake up in the morning if I was actually conscious enough of my surroundings by nine o'clock in the morning that was a really good day now come here to Las Vegas where we have sunshine 364 days a year and what's right. interesting about it and this is where I'm going with this point Jason is that because we're on the eastern edge of the Pacific time zone, it gets light real early here and it gets dark a little bit earlier here. Mm -hmm, yeah. But because it gets light so early, I can wake up at 6 o'clock every morning without an alarm. Right. Because right. it comes through the window and it gives me the energy and it wakes me up. Oh, sure. Having and, awareness and, and you're, of things you're, like you're, this. You're in tune with your circadian rhythms. You yes. know, the natural rhythm of your body. You should get tired at night when it's dark. This is why be, being a night owl, and certainly I've had my share of partying in my life and being yes. a night owl and going to nightclubs and, and that kind of stuff. I, you know, I don't pretend to be any uh, saint on any of this stuff. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it's not healthy. I mean, you should, rise, you should rise and you should sleep in tune with nature as much as possible. Okay. Right. Artificial light is not good for our bodies. And there's a gland inside our brain. It's called the pineal gland. Yep. And many years ago, I learned about this when I read a book maybe 20 years ago called Light, the Medicine of the Future. And it talked about full spectrum lighting and the importance of, of that. And, and that's what people do in areas like the Northeast or the Northwest or, you know, any northern climates or far southern climates where it's, you know, much darker uh, and, uh, and, and they need to, uh, overcome seasonal affective disorder is they use full spectrum lighting in their house to, to help. It doesn't, you know, replace the sun by any means, but it, it does help. Uh, yeah. And, shown. and so, so hacking our biology, the quantified self movement, just look into that. There's a lot more to it than I've been able to share here, but, but it's really interesting. And the last one is really my area of specialty, and that is investing and investments. Uh, so you want to dive into that one now, Adam? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have about uh, we have about seven minutes left here before I want to turn over to Florida for one minute. So tell us about investing. I know it's what a lot of our listeners are here for. Yeah. So you know, I have uh, I got into the real estate business when I was 19 years old because I was really wanting to become an investor. I I never thought of myself as, oh, I'm going to become a real estate agent or own a real estate company or anything like that. I always just wanted to be an investor. That was my, my interest uh, since I was 16 years old, really. And, um, you know, one of the things I love about real estate, I, I bought my first rental property when I was 20 years old. I still lived at home with my mom. 
uh, for a couple years longer than that, but I owned a rental property. <laughs> I owned a little crappy one-bedroom condo in Huntington Beach, California. And what happened is uh, a client of mine, and I actually had clients from when I was 19 years old. Um, I, I had, uh, he was an investor I was working with. His name was Jim Wool. And uh, I should find that guy, see if he's still around. And, um, and uh, you know, he bought a few properties from me and one of them was this condo. And he came to me about six months later and said, you know, Jason, I don't really like this property very much. I don't feel I can get really good quality tenants you know, one bedroom condo, you're not going to get a great tenant in there. And um, so he came to me and he said, I want to sell it. Why don't you list it for me and put it on the MLS and, and you know, let's get me out of that. I'll, I'll buy another property from you instead. And I said, you know, Jim, I don't want to sell it for you. I want to buy it from you. I want to get my first rental property. And I bought it from him. And I actually, Adam, had kind of a bad experience. You know, just the reason he's, he wanted to sell it was because you couldn't get good tenants. And my first and only tenant in my life was a bad tenant. They didn't pay. I had to evict them. That was my first experience as a real estate investor. <laughs> but it didn't, it didn't um, you know, it didn't ruin it for me because I actually sold that property to yet another investor, made a little bit of a profit on it. And then I bought a condo that I moved into. It was when I moved out of the house. I actually bought a two-bedroom, two-bath condo. And I made a bunch of money on that one. Uh, and then I started buying more rental properties. And over the years... I have made a small fortune investing in real estate. I worked my way all the way up to a 125-unit apartment complex in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I bought that with a client, and we recently uh, sold that property, and we're now doing what's called a 1031 tax-deferred exchange into two, if not maybe three other properties that include a larger apartment complex in Oklahoma City, a uh, RV and mobile home park in Nevada and a marina with an RV and mobile home park on it as well and a bunch of extra land and a, a boat storage facility and a, an actual marina with slips where people park their boats and stuff like that. So it has really been quite amazing to me how, you know, time passes kind of quickly as we get older, right? As, yes. as the years go on, they keep getting faster. Yes. And the, the only way to put time on your side, to put uh, all the things that people usually complain about, like irresponsible, overspending government on our side, is to own income property. It is literally the most historically proven asset class in the world. And I know you've got lots of entrepreneurs listening to your show, Adam, and I love entrepreneurship. We spent most of our time talking about that today. But for your own personal account, you have got to be a real estate investor because my real estate investments have funded many of my entrepreneurial ventures. And in fact, when I had trouble over the years in my entrepreneurial adventures in my businesses, it was always that stable, wonderful real estate where I could sell or refinance a property. And you know what? That could keep my business going through a bad time. And, and, and it would ultimately lead to a good time where I could sell that business or turn that business around and create a good cash flow with it. 
Um, and, you know, the, the real estate, it's just so tried and true. It's such a wonderful thing. Uh, I, I just love it. It's much easier to manage than managing my businesses. Uh, I, I really am in business largely, Adam, because I like the creativity and the challenge of it. Honestly, you know, I, I think the, the, the returns and the, the, the wealth creation really has been mostly through owning the properties through the real estate. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a mixed thing and I think you want to do both, but, uh, I, I gotta tell you, I love real estate. It offers so much leverage. Um, it's the most debt friendly asset class. In other words, try and get a loan on your business. Very difficult. Yes. Uh, you're, you're not going to get a very good loan to value ratio at all, but it's really easy to get loans on real estate. And you can get, you can borrow a lot of money. It, it it has the lowest interest rates and the most leverage. It's the most tax favored asset class in America. Uh, so uh, you know, wealthy people that own a lot of real estate can work it out to where they pay very little or even no taxes. Uh, you know, your business. You know, when I sold my business to Coldwell Banker, uh, I I went all around to all these exit strategy experts to all these very high-end accounting firms to all these strategists and I said hey you know I'm gonna have a big check here coming from Coldwell Banker soon uh, when the deal closes what can I do do I need to buy another business to uh, eliminate my tax liability and they said there's basically nothing you can do you know you just have to pay the gain and if you want to start a new business you're going to start that business with after-tax dollars. But with income property, with real estate, you can trade it all your life and through the 1031 exchange, pay zero taxes. You can constantly defer the gain into a new property. And uh, it's, it's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful right. thing. It really yeah. is. And, and on that... And on that, I think that'd be a perfect time for us to wrap up here because we are near the top of the hour. So first of all, Jason Harmon, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And just you know, real quick for one minute, uh, share with our listeners how they can engage with you if they want to take this to the next level. Yeah, so uh, my, my real estate company, which is my most profitable business, uh, is uh, jasonhartman.com. Yep. And you can follow me on Twitter at jasonhartmanroi. I have to say I'm not super active on Twitter, uh, but, uh, but I, we do have a feed there. Jason Hartman ROI, as in return on investment, or jasonhartman.com. And my media company is called the Hartman Media Company, and you can uh, catch that, find out about my podcasting activities at hartmanmedia.com, or of course on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, all the usual podcasting platforms. Just type my name. Absolutely. Yeah, you're a very easy guy to find. I've found a ton of information from you. So once again, Jason, thank you again for spending time with us in the Business Creators Radio Show. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, your beloved host. Thank you very much for joining us today. Please be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day.